People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Anne Malum is our guest today on HealthGig. Anne is a female entrepreneur who knows how to create and build with purpose, and she knows how to do it quickly. Anne was the CEO and founder of Back on My Feet, which was a nonprofit organization she founded in Philadelphia in 2007 that uses the power of running to change the way those experiencing homelessness see themselves. And she actually is the creator of the fast-growing boutique fitness company here in Washington, D.C. called SolidCore. Anne has lots to share with us about her own personal journey and her professional journey. Welcome, Anne. Let's just begin by hearing a little bit about you and where you're from and how you got onto this path that eventually led to SolidCore, which Trisha and I are big fans of. I grew up in, in Bismarck, North Dakota, which is always makes people go, oh, really? You know, it's like, how do people get out of that place and, and go into the world? And as soon as I turned 18, I left. I appreciate my roots. My family is still there. But I always knew from a very young age that that was not my journey and I would not be living there. And I was very curious and I wanted to see the world and I wanted to experience things. And I wanted to see what other options were out there for life and for my career besides the traditional roles that you see in a smaller city. So went to college in Minnesota, went to graduate school in D.C. And I went through college and and graduate school very fast. I graduated in three years with two degrees. I went to Grad school graduated in, in a year. Was, Whoa. Well, I was such in a hurry to be a grown up. I, <laughs> I convinced myself that once I got to marriage, kids, White House, picket fence job, that like <laughs> life began and I would be happy. So that's like what I was driving toward. And then usually what happens, you discover yourself when you're trying to make plans and pushing towards something and realize that's really not what I want at all. And I started to just do a ton of research on starting my own thing. And what would that look like? I frankly was in a pretty lonely place and I was having all kinds of food issues. I mean, there's so much to my story. I feel like two years of just searching and looking underneath the proverbial rocks and trying to figure something out that was going to offer fulfillment. And I was going to feel like I was contributing and feel like my cup was filling up. And it was a long two years. And then During this time, one of the things I did consistently was run every day in Philly, which is where I was living at the time when I was in my mid-20s. And I ran by a homeless shelter and began to see and talk with these group of guys that were hanging outside there. It was really easy for me to connect with them because my dad is an addict. And I saw a lot of my father and these guys, and I felt super comfortable with them. And we were sort of giving each other a little bit of crap back and forth asking me if all I do is run all day and me asking them if all they do is hang out there all day. And it was just really easy and natural. And and I was like, oh my God, I need to start a running club for these guys. This is how I can contribute and help. And so I did that. And this running club turned into something so much bigger. I felt it immediately. I knew it could be a full-fledged organization that could help people really change the direction of their life if they started to see themselves differently than someone who was homeless. Running doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, rich, poor. And I didn't think it mattered if you were homeless or not. Like it can make you feel like you can fly. It can turn you into thinking of yourself as somebody who's reliable, disciplined, a team player focused, someone who can achieve goals. All of this stuff that has a positive identity association 
And I was certain that if we could do that for this group of people who look at themselves as homeless and all the negative connotation that comes along with that, that if we could change their emotional and mental state, that we could build in self-sufficiency in their life. They would be able and want to get jobs and have a home and healthy relationships. So I put everything I had. Everybody told me I was nuts and are like, what do you mean you're going to do this for work? And I'm like, I'm going to build this nonprofit into something that's legit and raises money and has staff. Nobody believed me. People thought I was, it was admirable and people thought it was so great. You know, oh my gosh, Anne's got a big heart, but they were like, she's nuts. So how is she going to do this for work? So I had to really listen to myself for the first time in my life of going against what everybody else thought was possible. When you think about those moments in our lives, we tend to think about the worst case scenario and we make it so much worse than what it actually would be. Mm. And the worst case scenario would be, it just doesn't work. That's it. Like it's not game over. I don't live in a video game. I'd have to figure something else out, but like, that's it. The worst case is it doesn't work out. And so once I accepted that, it made it much easier to try. So I put everything I had into it and got a lot of smart people involved and did that for six and a half years. And it became a fully fledged nonprofit with 50 staff and chapters in 12 cities and helping thousands of people have different lives. And it was awesome. One of the things you mentioned early on are food issues that you had and how was that for you and what can you offer to people going through the same thing? I think most women, at least most women that I have met at some point in my life has either food issues or an unhealthy relationship with food and or their body. I think about the time and place we are now and it makes me so excited because when I was younger, there was one way a woman was supposed to look. And it was a one body type and that was it. And that's what attractive was. And that's what men were taught that they want to look for. And so there was so much pressure to look that specific way. And I convinced myself I would not be loved if I didn't look that way. And so it consumed me for a very long time. My parents also got divorced and separated when I was a teenager. So our parents' relationship and how that impacts us My dad was not faithful to my mom. My mom is an attractive, fit woman. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's not even good enough. You know, so it was just like, gotta do everything possible to be this perfect specimen in every way. Otherwise, I'm not gonna be loved by a man. And that really screwed with me for a very long time. Once you start these bad behaviors, it's really hard to undo them. And I was in the thick of it. Like I threw up my food in high school, got a little better in college. And then when I was sort of searching for something, that's when it was the worst. I was throwing up my food four or five times a week and I planned to do it. I would go home after work. This is going to sound so sick, but it's the truth. I would go and buy a half a gallon of ice cream. I literally went in debt. I had credit card debt from buying food, binging and then purging. And then I would look in the mirror and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. But it became my identity. And I didn't know who I was if I wasn't the girl who was constantly obsessing about her weight and food. And could I just really love my body? Like, no way. What would I do with all my time and energy? That's like all I think about. So for me, and everybody's path is a little different. It wasn't until I started back on my feet that I actually started to give a about other things and other people. And I felt I had a bigger purpose that the way my body looked was just no longer as important. I solved my issue by finding more meaning in Mm -hmm. other people and helping others. And that was a big part of my recovery. 
And did you get professional help during this time? I didn't. I didn't get professional help. I've also been a very big personal development, self-help reading books. And so a lot of that work was being done in my own time and trying to understand why I was doing that, why I stopped doing it. It was like this thing just went away. How did that happen? And so it was just like the only thing that has changed is I started to care so much about helping other people that I, I didn't have time to be sick. I couldn't be sick and do the thing that became more important than being sick. And then you put all your energy into that and that grew and that was positive. And you started getting, as you said, more of an identity that way or feeling part of a community that you wanted to be part of that idea. Exactly, Trisha. And an identity, no matter what your identity is, you don't have to be a celebrity or you don't have to be somebody, you know, whatever. We all get wrapped into identities with our relationships, with our jobs, with where we live and our belief systems. One of my favorite quotes from and it's Tony Robbins quote when he says, the problem with your beliefs is that you believe them. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that But <laughs> we do. And we like convince ourselves of who we are because we've gotten through life to this point, believing these things and we hang on to them. So I had to work really hard to strip down that identity and be like, this identity actually isn't serving me anymore. And it's not who I want to be. And I don't have to be this person, but that takes real work. Mm, yeah. Um, and it's real hard, consistent daily work. So I found a new identity. After six and a half years, my identity then became back on my feet. When you would ask people, oh, have you heard of back on my feet? They would say, oh yeah, I know Anne. It wasn't like we <laughs> separate. They were one and the same. Like it ended where I began and vice versa. And I started to feel that that was scary to me. It was scary for the organization to feel like, is this thing going to work without me? And who am I going to be without it? Am I still going to feel special enough? Because I got to tell you, ladies, here I walked away from the corporate world, built a nonprofit from scratch that uses running to help the homeless. The story was amazing and people loved it. And it was like, oh my God, Anne, you got to come speak. Anne's got to come here. You got to hear what Anne does. I felt really special and it felt really good. And it took me a good six months when I knew I was ready to do something else. I didn't know what, but I was so scared of that. I was like, who am I? I cannot say forever that I'm like the former CEO of back on my feet. Like at some point I got to figure out what my next thing is. And oh my God, what if the next thing isn't as big or as important or as special? I just mm. felt a lot of pressure for myself. And again, it goes back to just feeling special and being loved. It just sounds like the fear of failure is something that we need to overcome at these different transitions in your career. You're facing that again. What was your next step after back on your feet? And how did you overcome the fear of what you're going to do? When I reflect on it, I knew I needed to leave, but I knew I wasn't ready to leave until I figured out my next thing. And I wish that weren't the case. I wish I was brave enough to leave without it, but I wasn't. Why do you wish that you were brave enough to have left before you knew your next thing? Because I get that. If that's that period where you've let go of this trap, you're just hanging there. So you're saying there's still an attachment that you're aware of. Is that what you're kind of talking yeah. about? During that phase, I mean, I was still young. I was 31, wow. you know, 31, 32 years old. And I just, I didn't want to feel like I didn't know what to, what I didn't know what I was going to do. And the idea of that really scared me. And so I, I wasn't willing to make the leap without it. What I translate that to is, people who are in an unhealthy relationship, but won't leave until they find the next relationship because they don't want to be alone. 
that's kind of how I felt in that moment. And I'm sort of proud, as, as we'll talk about solid core and my sort of stepping away from the CEO role without having a plan. That's where I was at that stage. I just wasn't really ready to not have this next thing. And truth be told, it served the organization really well that I did. Because if I didn't, I think I would have been lingering and back on my feet, you know, and like, oh, don't do this. And, you know, putting myself, but I didn't have the time or energy because I had already figured out I'm going to start solid core. So I was in LA and I walked by this fitness studio and they had these machines and like this cool inside. And I was like, oh, this looks very LA. And I considered myself very fit. I was running marathons, all the things. And I'm like, oh, I'll do this fun little workout while I'm in LA. And I got my butt kicked. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know you could work out like this. I didn't realize this was an option. I thought I had done all the workouts and it just, it, it stuck with me. And, and I found a similar sort of Pilates place in New York when I, that's where I was living at the time. And I started doing it and my body started to transform. And if my body was transforming, even though I was in much healthier relationship, I still had a lot of my self-worth based in my athleticism, how fit I was. I was like, oh my God, I look amazing. I don't have to do this workout every day. I feel like I'm becoming more confident. So I was like, this is what I need to do. Like, this is the space I need to get in. And from what I could tell, there just wasn't a sense of community within these workout studios Mm. in the way that I would do it. And I'm like, if I am good at anything, it is building an experiential branded community. That is what I know how to do. And I felt I'm going to do that in this space because other women don't know you can work out like this. And I almost felt it was my obligation to build something to help as many women feel as good about their bodies as I was starting to feel. And that was sort of where it all began. You were in New York at that time and then decided to do it in DC because you went to school here? Yeah, I went to school there. And so originally I signed a license deal for the machines. The same machines that were in LA were in New York. And I'm like, where are these machines coming from? And it was a licensing deal. So I bought the license for these machines to have the studio in DC. And I opened my first studio in November of 2013. And then the second one in February, the third one in May, the fourth one in September. And it just kind of kept going. Yeah. Uh, and I also wanted to, when I look back on my feet, you know, again, I also was sort of astute enough to, to realize that I love building stuff. I love creating and building stuff. And back on my feet had grown when we started expanding, which was two years after we opened in Philly, we opened 12 cities in four years. And that was a lot for a nonprofit, right? You're not like doing sales. I had to raise money in all these markets. And a big reason why I wanted to leave back on my feet was it actually did not need to grow more horizontally. It needed to grow vertically and deeper and programming. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's just not what I'm good at. I can build a brand and build things again in this fashion, but I'm not the right person for what the organization needs anymore. It needs something else. And I want to go do something where I feel like I can just grow it and grow it. And I wanted to try my hand mm-hmm. in the profit space. So left and, and did that. And, and obviously started to grow solid core very quickly. And then at some point I wasn't getting machines fast enough. These machines I was using were starting to break. And I was like, I got to make my own machines. I've never done that before. Mm-hmm but I got to figure out a way to make my own machine so that I can be in control of the manufacturing. I need these machines to grow and scale. I won't be able to do that at the level I want to if I don't do this on my own. So that was the next big um, iteration or just like big risk of solid core. Like I need to figure this out. I don't know how to do it. And it's going to amplify the opportunity for growth. So therefore it's worth doing. 
you're just so brave. <laughs> well, you're so brave. Yeah. So impressive. Yeah. Trish and I are a women-owned business, and it's so inspiring to see how you've created your business. Can you talk a little bit about women in business and and how important that is to you? Oh my goodness, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about that because last year uh, was a very tough year, not just for the pandemic, for Solid Core, but there was this awful article that came out about me. Uh, I don't know if you've read it or not, and you can feel free to go read it. I, I don't care at this point. In BuzzFeed about how mean I am, demanding, I harass people, I discriminate against people. I mean, it was just like, you, you name it, right? Anonymous sources, people who used to work here, all kinds of awful things about Anne. And that was one, very hurtful. And two, it just felt so, and I hate the word unfair, but it did. It felt untrue and unfair and we were in the middle of this demise of women entrepreneurs. It was happening all over. I don't know how much you guys paid attention, but whether it was Audrey Gelman at the wing or the away folks that Tyler Haney from outdoor voices. I mean, it was happening so often, these takedown pieces of women. And I was like, Oh my God, it's now happening to me. And without warning, without anything. And it was all of a sudden, then this anonymous group calls for my resignation. And it was really challenging. So I was speaking to these women who had happened to many women were going to step down, but I was not going to step down. That's not who I am. Even though they knew that's not who they were, they didn't own their company. They didn't own the majority stake. So the board made the decision for them. They didn't really have a say. Fortunately, in my position, I own the majority of my company and uh, you can't just fire me. That's not how this works. And I also felt I'm not going to sit here and take this. These anonymous voices, and if you remember, we were in this time where if you apologized, you were admitting guilt. If you apologized, you didn't do it sincerely enough. If you apologized, it was too little too late. You sort of felt, but if you don't say anything, then you're admitting guilt. And I was getting advice from all these people, and they're like, just stay silent and let it go away. And I was like, no, I'm not going to let this voice or these words or this narrative be spread about me without speaking my truth and standing up for myself. And I also know myself well enough that if I had made a mistake and if I did something, which I have made plenty of mistakes, I own it and I will apologize. Mm -hmm. And being unapologetically yourself doesn't mean you don't apologize when you mess up. And this was not one of those moments. And so I stood up for myself and I continued to wonder if I didn't do that, would the outcome have been different? Would Solid Core's recovery, would our brand have been more damaged if I didn't do that? And I did a lot of thinking, got back in therapy, really wanted to sort out what was going on with women in business and these takedown pieces. And it's so interesting to me because there are still so much gender roles as it relates to successful women. When I was running back on my feet and I was leading this successful nonprofit helping people, that was my place as a woman. Nonprofit world, helping people, that was an yeah. acceptable, successful yeah. path for a woman. Right. And then I find myself leading Solid Core, where I've raised $70 million in private equity funding. I've created a lot of wealth for myself and have done very well. And it's like people wanted to just tear me down. The number mm -hmm. of articles written about me that I'm demanding, that I'm this, that I'm that. 
there's such a difference and women have got to continue to talk about this and stand up and have the conversation and be proud of their money and not make themselves smaller, not make themselves hide in the corner. They need to talk about money. They need to do all of these things. Otherwise, it's just going to continue. And I have found that so many people are comfortable with women who are quiet, women who are modest, women who are independent, but not at a point where they threaten people's own security of themselves. And the easier thing to do is to tear that person down rather than work on yourself. I feel very emboldened to be empowering women, to be helping women, teaching them to stand up for themselves, celebrating them, and continue to stand up for myself through my own platform so women have a role model to watch and say, that's what I'm going to do. I don't need to apologize 17 times a day. I don't need to be quiet. I don't need to do this. And you know what? I can see that woman over there doing it and she's doing really well. It's so true. And in our business, Trisha will say to me, I'll say, well, I really don't think we should, you know, do such and so. And she'll be like, Dora, a man doesn't do that. That's not his reaction. Do it, you know? And it's so true. And we're older than you. And so we have to remind ourselves that we're entitled to do things a certain way and we shouldn't back down. So Tricia, thank you. That's always yeah. a good reminder. And Anne, what a great role model for women. And it's so important. It really, really is. And like Doro said, in our generation, we have to constantly remind ourselves of it. So when we can see you standing up and giving a voice to it, it just makes our hearts feel so good <laughs> for you, for our daughters, for, for our granddaughters, because it just shouldn't be this way. I greatly appreciate that. Women are actually the worst, you guys. And I will say that on record. Women do not want other women to succeed. And part of that is not their fault. Part of them is we've been trained to think there's only so much room at the top for women. And if you have a seat, that means I don't. And I forget if it was RBJ who was asked, you know, how many women is appropriate to have on the Supreme Court? And she said nine, nine. For for Mm -hmm. years, there was just nine men and everybody was okay with that. You know, there is room for everybody. And frankly, if you are, it's like make room for other people, open up the table. You know, you got to make the effort to do it. And there's so many women out there who, I mean, that's what my whole takedown piece was. It was a woman reporter. It was anonymous women sources. And it was just like, what is, what is going on here? And I think there was also a great article. There's been a ton of articles, but One of the great examples that I have seen, which I have felt, is that people, especially women, look at women leaders and they're like, okay, you know, you're a women CEO. Great. That's awesome. But in your role, you also need to fix world hunger. You also need to make sure that the uh, racial injustice is fixed. You also need to make sure. And it's like all of these social responsibilities that fall on to the woman leader of being so moral. But I also need to go raise private equity money and also drive revenue and profit to my company. And it's like, I never agreed to some of these expectations that you have of me. And now you want to berate me or throw me under the bus or act like I'm not doing my job as a leader because I'm not solving the 17 issues that are important to you. That's not my company's job. My company is not a social justice organization. It is not a democracy. And that doesn't mean that I'm not proud of the values and principles that we hold, but we cannot accomplish all of that stuff. We are a fitness company. Our job is to help people create the strongest version of themselves, but we need to also drive a profit. If we don't, we don't exist. 
And mm-hmm. it's like this generation coming up feels like profit is a four-letter word. And we have had to have several conversations with our team members about what solid core is and what solid core isn't. And we are a team and we are a company. We are not a family. This is not a place where you should come for unconditional love. We are not a democracy. Everybody doesn't get a vote on every decision we make. You are going to disagree with some of the decisions we make. We understand that there's 650 people who work here. You are not all going to agree. This is not a place where, you know, people talk, oh, I'm in fitness. This is my fun job. And it's like, this can be a job you have fun at, but this is still a company and it's still a job. And there are going to be things that maybe you wish you didn't have to do, but that need to get done, just like the dishes and laundry. Those things have to get done. No one likes to do them. So it's really important to continue to have the conversations about your culture so that people don't get the wrong expectation of what that culture is supposed to feel like. And when it doesn't live up to that, they don't have these surprising emotions around their disappointed expectations in you or the company. Who are these bullies that are online these days? How can you explain that and why? I think that there, again, these are all sort of theory-based. There's a younger generation that looks at the world as everything should be equal and everybody should get the same amount. Everybody should do X. And so I understand those notions of it and just a, a lack of sort of understanding of how companies work and how the world works in business sort of in that fashion. I think there's a lot of joy in watching people. I'll give you an example that's not about me. Tom Brady, who is obviously an amazing quarterback. People hate Tom Brady because he's so good and he always wins. And they don't realize the level of discipline and focus and commitment that that man has to himself, his lifestyle, his sleeping, his diet. Everything is about how do I be the best who I am? And I think that that makes people feel really insecure when they see someone continuing to win, when they see someone continuing to do well, continue to rise. Again, a Tony Robbins quote was like, it's much easier to go tear down somebody else's building than build your own. So if, if you can level the playing field by making mm-hmm. that person not so tall or, or that person not so great, mm-hmm. you don't feel mm-hmm. so about, about yourself. So I always think that when someone's attacking and bullying, it's never about the person who they're attacking and bullying. It's always about themselves and the projection of insecurity and the projection yeah. of their own stuff that they need to figure out a way to turn inward. And the internet, you can be anonymous, which is a huge factor, I think, in a lot of this. Yeah, and you guys are probably familiar with uh, Brene Brown, but she's got that great quote that she references from Roosevelt about the arena. And it's like, if you are going to constantly sit in your cheap sheets and shame me and criticize me, but never put yourself in the arena to actually risk failure and risk losing, I really don't care what you have to say. Your opinion does not matter to me. And I always wasn't that strong because that stuff gets to you when you're younger and you're going through it and you don't have resilience build up yet. That can be hard to hear. But I've been dealing with this stuff now for 15 plus years. There's not a whole lot that some stranger who doesn't know me can say to me that's going to question who I am as a person and question my character. You know, it's so interesting when you talk about how you had your struggles with your relationship with food and really how you had to figure out how to maneuver that. Clearly during that time, you were learning steps to love yourself. So it's interesting, like now, 
as you say, it built resilience in you. I mean, an article like that, I got to say, it would take me down. Like, I, I get it. Like, I don't even know how you, it's embarrassing. Like, oh my God. But look, your reaction was, okay, I'm listening to all you people, but there's a stronger voice that I think I need to listen to right now. And it's me, which is incredible that really at your young age that you have that. Thank you. Appreciate that. You only get resilience one way and it's earned and it's painful because <sighs> you got to go through it. You've got to go through those moments where those words do hurt and you got to do a lot of soul searching. I really hate the saying when people say, you know, I give zero Fs. I hate that. I do care, but I care about what my coworkers think of me. I care about what my family thinks of me, my friends, the people that are close to me. I do care about those opinions, but I don't care about what some stranger on the internet wants to hurl some negative at me. So that has nothing to do with me. And I will not allow that to take up space in my heart, in my brain, in my day. Right. So solid core is going well, and you're in a transition of sorts. What are you thinking about now? What are your next steps? A little different than back on my feet because I had the courage to leave back on my feet because I knew what I wanted my next thing to be and I was ready to do it. With Solid Core, I've been now an entrepreneur for more than 15 years and obviously a very busy entrepreneur building, creating. It's been a lot of time and energy and I've been super happy doing it. But with Solid Core, before the pandemic, I was all set to sell the company. We had hired a banker. We were going to market. We were going to do on a dog and pony show. We were like ready. Everything was teed up. And literally like two or three weeks later, the pandemic hit. And so we changed course. We obviously weren't going to sell the company now that all the studios were shut down. We weren't going to do that. As we were going to sell the company, I was going to move on to an executive role. So this was sort of planned before the pandemic. When COVID hit, it was like, all right, I got to get back in this. I obviously cannot leave. I need to get us through this uncharted storm. And what does this mean? When's it going to be over? And so unprecedented, so unknown. And so did that. It was really hard. And so we pivoted this late summer and we were like, okay, we're not going to sell the company, but we need to raise money. What is the commitment that we have to grow the company over the next three to four years? Being we lost, you know, a good 15 months of our growth and everything else and rebuilding and the remnants of COVID are still very real. And so I was like, okay, we're going to raise money. So we did that. Our bankers helped us get us in front of a lot of prospective private equity firms. And we found a great partner in BMG and we closed that deal February 1st. And part of that deal was that I was going to step out of my CEO role. That was my doing. And I was very adamant that if they want to invest in this business, that they need to accept that. And Brian, who's my COO, who's wonderful, who's the president and CEO, we've been working together for four years, was going to step into the CEO role so I could back up and have a more strategic level view of the company or staying in that strategic role without being in the minutia of being the CEO and stay in my founder role. Also knowing and being able to articulate to my staff and to the investors that, again, I know what I'm really good at and I know what I'm not good at. And we are 70 seven studios. I have done my part as the entrepreneur. Like you want me involved in the beginning. I know how to build and create like nobody's business. But once something comes this size and it's so much operational and like the ship just doesn't move as fast, I don't really do well in, in that environment. And I'm not the best operator. Like those are not my skill sets. And it was time for the organization to start its new chapter with a better operator at the helm that was leading from the CEO position. 
And Brian is that person. We are very different. We work pretty well together. We disagree a lot. We have different ways of doing things, but the respect factor we have is, is immense. And we know where to pull each other's strengths. And I was like, he is ready for this. So I wanted to do that without having my next thing. I wanted to feel that I could sit in myself, experience the world, do things that make me happy. And the next thing, whatever that big thing is, will show up in a way that it's supposed to. And I'm playing a ton of beach volleyball. Uh, <laughs> well, fun. And I don't know. And I think there's a book in my future. I'm not ready to write it yet, but I've got a lot to say. And I feel like I have a lot of things to offer that can help a lot of women, frankly, with their with their path to entrepreneurship and frankly, just living their best own life that doesn't have to follow the path that society still puts on women in some regard. My path has been very different. I'm just kind of living and spending some more time with family and with friends and being open for a little spontaneity. And I'm really enjoying where things are right now. What is the program that you have that people can write their story and then you give them money? Is that, what is that program called? This is why this is so great. As you think about that, when the article happened last year and how awful that felt, it's really fueled me. Those kind of moments can fuel you and when something beats you down. And I was watching um, the Taylor Swift documentary and it's Mm -hmm. the same thing, right? She's been, most successful women have gotten it on some level and it just, I'm like, I need to do something more. So there's this whole notion of the good girl, you know, you got to be a good girl. And we've all felt that in some, and I'm like, oh, I'm over that. I'm done with that. And so I wanted to use my own platform on Instagram. And every other week I post a theme about something about, you know, whether it's resilience or strength or perseverance or something. And I want women to share their stories of that word and how they've embodied that word. And I pick a winner and I just give them $5,000 for being a badass woman. <laughs> that is so <laughs> great. So great. Yeah. That's so great. And and just even in doing that, it's just giving people an opportunity to reflect and you just let them write, right? And they just get to send it in. And then the next month or the next time they can do it, there's no limit of, of giving your stories, right? Yeah. And like the, the, the greatest thing about that is sort of the side messages I get of like, that felt so good to write something and be proud of myself. And not try to like be modest and not try to, you know, be quiet, but be like, I'm really proud of this part of me and the work I've done and putting it out there and wanting people to read it. So it like has all of these additional benefits of just like, yeah, five grand is great. It's letting people know to be loud about their accomplishments and not trying to diminish them. And helping people to know what they're good at, which sounds like a theme for you important to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And a lot of mm-hmm. people are, you know, I'm not good at a lot of things. And like, I, I know that stuff, but I'm good at these real things. And I always tell people that I'm mentoring, you know, take a scale one through 10. There are things that everybody has that we're like an eight or a nine or even a 10 at. And you got to continue to sharpen those tools. And the things that you're a six or seven at, those are also worth continuing to sharpen. But the things that you're a one or a two at, just let them go. Who cares? Who cares? Don't even try because you're never going to get them to a point that someone's going to hire you for those skills or they're going to, you're going to add value because it's just not, this is not where your skill sets are. And it helps you to be more authentic, to sharpen the skills that you are good at and to 
let the others go because that isn't who you are. Totally. Why is it that we're so easily accepting the bad things about ourselves and we're not loud about the good things about ourselves, you know, and th- that exercise allows you to just get loud. I love that. Just get loud about the really good things that you are. You know, talk about that. So are you going to run for political office? Have we heard this? <laughs> I definitely wouldn't rule that out. I'm bouncing around a lot right now in these different places and trying to figure out where I, where I want to be and where I want to live. I still feel like I've got more things I want to do before that. And I think the continuation of doing things, of putting yourself out there, like that's what makes you a good politician. Because if you're going to go into politics and you haven't had any, again, resilience built or anything, like there's just no way you're going to last, right? Because people are coming after you. You've got 50% of the people who are just constantly disagreeing with you. So I feel like that is still something later on down my road. The one thing I worry about with political office is the bureaucratic slowness of things and how right. it's really hard to get things done. Things just take you know a lot slower than maybe you want to. And that's difficult for me running my own company and nonprofit or whatever. I feel like I can make a decision and it can happen like that. And I don't have to wait months and months or things like that. So that's just one thing I'm, I'm aware of. I'm impressed that you want to do that and make a difference, but you've already made such a difference um, for so many people. And, and it's just, I don't know. I just think it's amazing and wonderful. And, and it is, it's just a breath of, I hate to say this, but it is a nice new breeze. You know, it's so great to see someone like you stand up who is successful that built things with a lot of, I mean, it wasn't easy but you did it and you still have so much runway ahead of you. <laughs> it's amazing to yeah. see what you've accomplished. I really appreciate that. It's really fun to see women because there is this movement happening and I, and I feel it. And I think part of last year was necessary to happen for people to realize what's going on here. And then now all the articles are being written about, there's so many of them that are like, wait a minute, what are all these double standard expectations that we have of women leaders? We cannot advocate for women to be leaders only to tear them down when they get there. You're going to stop people from wanting to go down that path and we're going to go backwards. So we have to continue and every woman out there can do the world a favor by just lifting one woman up underneath them and helping them along their way. And like that will continue to get us seats at the table and continue with the diversity um, and everything else. So I think it's really, really important. What's your best advice for people who want to be entrepreneurs? My best advice for for people looking to go down the entrepreneurial route is you got to get out of your head a little bit. And many times, I'll give you one example. When I when someone asked me, "Oh my gosh, I really want to help underprivileged uh, kids." If that's even a term that you can use anymore, I'm not sure what the appropriate term is, but kids may be living in poverty. I want to help them learn music. And Mm. I sort of paused and I was like, well, then help them learn music. And he had built up in his head, oh my gosh, I need this. And what's the structure? And then I got to figure this out. What's the, how's the funding going to work? And how am I going to other people? And I'm like, you got to take step one before anything else gets figured out. And frankly, when people try to figure out step one, two, three, four, five, six, once you get to step six, you're like, oh my God, that feels way too hard. Or that feels impossible. Or I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do step six. So then they, they just talk themselves out of it. And the reality is any entrepreneur doesn't know what step six is. 
when I opened Salator, you know, I knew nothing about construction. I'd never had a commercial lease before. I didn't know anything about any of that sound attenuation. I had to close my first studio because the sound was transferring through the walls and I got evicted. <laughs> I, I didn't think about that. The landlord didn't think about it. We needed to end the relationship because it wasn't going to work. But if I would have known that that was going to happen, obviously I would have done things differently, but it just can't stop you. You need to be okay with, you're going to have to figure out a lot along the way. And it's not your job to know everything. It's your job to be open to figuring it out as the challenges come up and having the temperament to figure out the challenges and the obstacles that are inevitable with being an entrepreneur. There's no way around it. Somebody said that you have to feel fast too. Do you have anything to say about that feeling fast? Everybody seems to have a different view on failure. And I think sometimes people who are in it when they can feel like it's okay to fail, it can feel a little, I don't want to say condescending, but almost like nonchalant and failure is scary. And the way that I have looked failure in the face is if I'm going to do something, I have enough invested in it whether it's my time, my energy, my reputation or money and or money, that failure is going to be the last case scenario. I am going to get everything that I got and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to figure it out because I have so much on the line. And that just gives you the upper hand with failure. Well, Anne, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We've just enjoyed it so much and have admired you from afar. Well, really nice to meet you. And I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.